Welcome to 45 Days. I'm Nicole Nixon. And I'm Julia Ritchie. It's the end of week five at the legislature, and we've now seen nearly 150 bills passed by both chambers. And 19 of those signed by the governor so far. A bill that popped up in the last week that took some by surprise was legislation to repeal the state's death penalty. You might remember that a Republican lawmaker tried this a few years ago without any success, but this time around, things may be a little different. The national conversation around capital punishment has shifted significantly over the years, especially now that several large drug makers have discontinued making that cocktail of drugs for lethal injections. And here to talk about this with us is KUER reporter Whitney Evans. Hi, Whitney. Hi, ladies. So who is behind this effort to repeal the death penalty in Utah? It's Republican Representative Gage Froer. He's a newcomer to this wave of Republicans who who have decided that it would be a good idea to abolish the death penalty. Um, and uh, so 2016, he was actually not supportive of the bill to repeal the death penalty, but he's changed his mind in the last two years. And a couple of reasons for that is that it's really expensive. It's more expensive to sentence someone to death uh, than it is to sentence someone to life in prison without parole. So this bill would just repeal the death penalty and replace it with life without parole? Life without parole. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would repeal the death penalty moving forward, which means that no uh, no existing death row cases would be affected. A surprising backer of the bill was House Speaker Greg Hughes, uh, but we also got a chance to ask Governor Herbert about it this week, too. And when you find people that are tried on a capital punishment, uh, 20, 25 years uh, and longer, people on death row for over 20 years, that's not timely, and that's probably not just. So I'm to the point of saying for the taxpayer and for justice, um, it certainly is less expensive, I think, by all accounts to have life without possibility of parole as a replacement for the death penalty. So that's a pretty big shift for Herbert, right? It's definitely a shift. Considering in 2015, uh, three years ago, he signed a bill to bring back execution by firing squad. And the reason the state did that was because we were worried that we were going to run out of uh, the drug cocktail um, that's used in lethal injection. So um, he supports bringing back firing squad in 2015. And Historically, he has said that he is a supporter of the death penalty, especially in the most heinous of cases. So you talked a little bit about the cost, but why are conservative lawmakers changing their tune on this now? Well, they're hearing more about the cost. And we're seeing more and more people across the country exonerated for crimes they've been sentenced um, to prison for committing. So we only have nine people on death row in Utah right now. Um, but I'm curious how victims' families are responding to this new effort to repeal the death penalty. You know, victims' families are on both sides of the fence when it comes to this issue. Um, talking to them in my reporting, I found that there are some families who've told me that um, it's made dealing with this ordeal easier that uh, the person who was convicted of murdering their family member um, is not going to go through decades and decades of appeals because they're sentenced to death. Mm. Uh, for some people, it's easier for them that the person convicted of murdering their family member um, was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole, for instance. Um, for others, you know, they want that justice. They see the death penalty as the ultimate and only justice that um, that is satisfactory. And so I think that when this bill got its first hearing uh, this week, I think you saw 
families on both sides of that debate um, speaking passionately about this issue. Any sense of whether this could actually pass both chambers this year? Well, looking looking to 2016 when this bill was uh, when this bill came up in the legislature, it passed the full Senate. It made it through a House committee, and then it failed to get a hearing on the House floor. And I spoke to Speaker Hughes during a press conference this week who said um, that year they were about half a dozen votes short of uh, of getting it passed in the House. And because there's a lot of turnover in the House, it's difficult to know who supports what this year. Super interesting. Um, another bill you covered this week uh, was about the alarming rate of inmate deaths in jails in Utah. Uh, what's going on with that effort and who's behind it? That's Republican Senator Todd Weiler, and he's been interested in this issue for a while. Um, he and others have been really concerned, including the media, about the high number of uh of in-custody deaths uh, that have happened in the state of Utah in the past few years. We have the highest per capita rate of in-custody deaths. Um, His bill would essentially ask that jails across the state um, provide every year a list of everybody who's died behind bars in every jail. And along with that information, he wants to know what their policies are for uh, treating inmates who are addicted to opioids. And um, that information will help guide policymakers moving forward. So it's really sort of it's a bill to get information that we're not currently getting in some ways. Some of that information is available, but it's not all compiled in a nice, neat place where we can go look for it. Right now, the state or jail, county jails in the state of Utah do report in-custody deaths to the federal government. They do not report those in-custody deaths to the state of Utah. So this will be some good additional data that we can use moving forward. That was reporter Whitney Evans, who will be tracking the death penalty repeal efforts and other criminal justice issues this session. Thanks so much, Whitney. Thank you. What's that saying about death and taxes? But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Benjamin Franklin, 1789. Oh my gosh, so nerdy. (laughs) Anyway, this week we got an update on revenue numbers. Super exciting stuff, I know. Um, But it really is because lawmakers learned that they have a lot more money to spend this year than they originally thought. How much more? More than half a billion dollars. That's a lot of money. $581 million to be exact. That is $453 million in ongoing revenue and 128 in one-time funds. And the state is also expecting some money from federal tax reform, right? Yes. So since Congress passed tax reform in December, it was supposed to be a tax cut for regular taxpayers, right? But the state actually gets first dibs on that money, and they're expecting anywhere from about 25 to $80 million. So Utah lawmakers now have to decide if they will pass those tax cuts on to Utah or if they will keep that money and add it to the state's budget. And there's like still some disagreement over that and not a whole lot of time left Mm -hmm. to figure it out. Uh, On the one hand, you have the governor's top priority of education, which advocates have been pushing to have more money funneled to year after year. Uh, And there's even that ballot initiative we've talked about several times to raise taxes for education. And lawmakers would like to avoid that. Yes. And on the other hand, it's a bad look for the state to pocket that money when they already have this huge half billion dollar surplus. And it's also an election year. Dun, dun, dun. It's also getting down to the wire for tax reform. 
We haven't seen much movement on that yet because they were waiting for these revenue numbers. But now, as Representative Brad last said on the House floor when he broke the news about the surplus, it's time to get serious about tax reform. But can like lawmakers feasibly overhaul the tax code in two weeks? Well, Congress did it, right? <laughs> yeah, they did. And actually, they're not planning this big tax reform omnibus type bill. Um, they decided to break it up into about a dozen smaller bills. So we may see some of those get through and others that won't. And the things that they're thinking about include things like freezing the property tax. And something called a single sales factor, which a lot of states are moving toward. Right now, Utah charges businesses taxes based on three factors, their payroll, their property, and their sales. What a single sales factor does is streamline it to only taking into account their sales. The one tax that got a lot of buzz early on, but now is a series of question marks literally on this handout from the Revenue and Taxation (laughs) Committee, is the sales tax on streaming media like Netflix. So that might not happen. Yeah, you may actually be able to enjoy binge-watching the next season of Big Little Lies tax-free. With Meryl Streep. (laughs) Speaking of high-profile, dramatic personalities, we learned this week of yet another retirement. This time, Democratic Senator Jim DeBacchus, the Utah legislature's first openly gay lawmaker and most outspoken member of the Democratic caucus, announced he will not be seeking re-election this year at the end of his term. DeBacchus says it's time for some new blood in the legislature, and he represents District 2, which is downtown Salt Lake, so it's safe to say he'll likely be replaced by another Democrat. This is the ninth incumbent departing the legislature of this session that we know of, making next year's state house races even more critical. So make sure you register to vote. We'll take a quick break, but when we come back, it's time to go to the movies. Support for 45 Days This Week comes from San Francisco Design. Whether you're on the hill or just trying to keep up, the legislature is exhausting. You know what's not exhausting? Coming home and relaxing in a living room put together by designers that have been specializing in contemporary home furnishings since 1981. San Francisco Designs has designers that can help with one piece or even outfit your entire home. Located in Salt Lake and Park City or online at sanfrandesign.com. So something not everyone knows about being on the Hill is that there are theme days in the rotunda. Each day, a different industry or sector gets to set up displays or tables and show off what they do and why lawmakers should care and maybe give them a little bit of money. Uh, There's Pharmacy Day. Aerospace Day. Nonprofit Day, where KUER's marketing team actually made an appearance this week. And my personal favorite, Movie Day, where I spoke to an actor about his upcoming TV project. Okay, so we're standing in the rotunda right now. It smells like popcorn because yes, it's delicious popcorn m- and sugar cookies. Movie day on the hill. Right. Uh, I'm standing here with M. Joshua Todd. And who are you with? I'm with the Outpost. The Outpost is uh, is a TV production we're putting on. We can't really say too much right now about it, uh, but it will be on Sci-Fi Channel. And the reason I approached you is because you're wearing. A costume. So if you could describe what it is you're wearing. I'm wearing about 36 pounds of ABS plastic sealed into a cloth gambeson and probably four pounds of swords. And uh, like a toaster, I'm very well insulated. 
And uh, said it was your first time. This at is, right. This is my first time in the state capitol, and uh, I walked through the doors wearing armor and swords. It's kind of like a, you know, a childhood dream come true. Only on you movie know? day, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So the point of these days are to bring industry people together uh, and promote your industry. Talk about what you do. Maybe you know, mm -hmm. schmooze some lawmakers that might right, kick yeah. some money your way. Yeah, of course. Um, what do you see the purpose of these kinds of events? Uh, just people to reach out, shake hands, and connect with each other, and try and uh, put uh, every tool maker's tools into another toolbox. You know what I mean? Uh, try and help each other and make connections. Uh, what do people not know about Utah and its film industry, television industry? Well, I think a lot of people make assumptions about Utah and its, you know, as well as its people. Uh, you know, I'm not even from here. I'm from Florida, and I moved here about a year and a half ago. And you know, I've been here before, so I, I'm certainly more into the light with the knowledge of Utah and its Utahns. Uh, but I think not a lot of people know about their rich uh, film industry here. It's it's crazy. You've got every backdrop and every set within a 20-minute drive of you and so many great incentives tax-wise uh, to shoot productions here as well. Uh, have you been involved in any other kind of uh, movies, like being sure. an extra? Mm -hmm. what kind of, what, which movies have you been in? Uh, I've been an extra with uh, some Disney Channel stuff, like Andy Mack. I played an archer where I just was at a Renaissance Fair episode. It's one of the, the uh, most recent episodes, actually. Are you and, being typecast because uh, you have a beard? I think so, yeah. A beard and blue eyes and bald and big often puts you behind armor or lifting someone's couch you know, <laughs> into a truck. So, uh, but yeah, but I don't mind the typecast. You know, it's it's something I have great interest in and great love for. Cool. Well, stay tuned for your as yet unnamed project coming to a channel near you. Yes, absolutely. Stay tuned. Keep your eyes peeled. Some of these theme days are more fun than others, right? I'm always surprised when I learn just how many movies are actually made here in Utah. Yeah, Utah actually has great tax incentives for film crews. And there's actually a bill this year that would extend some of that to post-production work on films. Speaking of media, there's legislation this year that's been getting quite a bit of attention. It's a bill that would restrict the use of non-compete clauses for broadcasters in TV and radio, like me and Nicole. Non-competes are used a lot more in TV news, and stations say they use them so they can hold on to their high-level talent, their Shauna Lakes and their Bob Evanses. <laughs> and when these anchors sign their contracts, they usually include a clause that prevents them from going to work for a competitor for a certain amount of time if they do leave their job. FYI, these are not the norm in public radio, right? <laughs> no. uh, but they are used by outfits like KSL, which has been one of the vocal opponents to this bill, even going so far as to discourage its employees from taking a side. Or even reporting on it. And the bill's gaining traction. It passed the House this week by a pretty big margin. Representative Mike Schultz is behind the bill and says media companies are abusing them. He's been chipping away at non-competes, not just in TV, but other industries mm -hmm. for a few years. But I think this is the farthest it's gotten. Yeah. Another bill that passed the House this week would make it clear that women do have the right to breastfeed in public. Duh. This bill had a weird hearing, though, earlier mm -hmm. this session where several male lawmakers expressed a discomfort with the idea that women could be showing their breasts in public while feeding their infants. It says that if the, if the breast is unco uncovered during or incidental, well, incidental, I can probably understand if something happened. But this seems to say you don't have to cover up at all. Not comfortable with that. I'm just not. It's really in your face. <laughs> okay. So awkward. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was Representative Kurt Webb, and the language he referenced in that clip was actually taken out of the bill during a floor amendment. You could say to pacify him oh. and other lawmakers. <laughs> Something we haven't talked about a lot this session is alcohol. Why not? And maybe that's because there's not a lot happening. <laughs> if you'll recall, last year was a pretty big year for liquor law changes. The legislature tore down the Zion Curtain and made a host of other tweaks to alcohol statutes. But even more notable was the controversial lowering of the state's DUI limit from 0.08 to 0.05 percent, which makes it the strictest in the nation. Right. And that law does not take effect until the end of this year. But some Democrats say they still feel rushed on it and they've proposed a couple of bills to try to delay that implementation. Um, Representative Karen Kwan wants to delay it until 2022. And Senator DeBacchus suggested that the state hold off on it until three other states lower their DUI limits, too. And in true Jim DeBacchus form, he showed up at that meeting, shall we say, prepared? I had breakfast, and then I went and had two more mosas, and I breathed at 0.5. So my entire presentation has been at 0.5. And you may say, well, that's evidence. That's evidence of why we want the law. Look at him. I'm at 0.5, and, and I, I feel perfectly fine. <laughs> okay. Can we always cover the legislature like two mimosas deep? Unfortunately, alcohol is banned on Capitol Hill. So it's it sounds like a wait-and-see approach with 0.05. Yeah. Last year, a few lawmakers, including Governor Herber, indicated support for a tiered penalty system. But nothing's materialized on that yet. And I think they're coming to terms with the fact that that may not happen this year. One other thing that did happen this week, the Senate passed a bill that would ban police ticketing quotas in the entire state. Yeah. Senator Howard Stevenson is running this bill, and he even brought two former police officers to talk about how they were pressured into meeting quotas. So if you've ever been ticketed at the end of the month for speeding or a California stop, this could help you out in the future. And supporters say it will make law enforcement focus on crimes, not raising money for their departments. We're only two weeks from the end of the session and things are picking up speed. So we'll keep you updated on more legislation next week. Okay, I think it's time for a quick break. Listening to 45 Days right now. You like podcasts, right? Of course you do. You're here listening to this one. But this episode is going to end soon. Sorry to break it to you. But don't worry, KUER has you covered. We're working harder than ever to bring you more and better podcasting with 45 Days and with our other projects. Search for KUER wherever you get your podcasts to find your next audio binge. We told you about the upcoming mass exodus of incumbents from the legislature later this year. One of those is longtime Democratic Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk, who is the subject of this week's Better Know a Lawmaker. (laughs) 
Democratic Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk has represented District 24, covering most of downtown Salt Lake since 2008. She serves on the Social Services, Health and Human Services, and Government Operations Committees, to name just a few. Uh, And this is her last year in the legislature. So welcome, Representative, to 45 Days. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is your last session. This one song. What made you decide that this was time to call it quits after 10 years? Well, I feel that I've done what I feel that I can do. A lot of the bills that I've been running in recent years are really heavy lifts, and I think that they are going to take time for public opinion to connect with where legislators are at. You know, I'll give an example. My End of Life Options Act, the one that would allow a terminally ill patient to ask for a prescription to hasten their death if they so choose. They need to self-administer. And even though in the last couple of years, uh, Utah Policy Daily, Dan Jones, has conducted polls asking Utahns how they feel about this issue, and predominantly most Utahns support a patient's right to choose in this manner, I can't get any movement on it on the Hill. Same with issues like redistricting. I've run redistricting uh, commission bills for since 2009. And even though the majority of Utahns support this, we're still not getting movement. And so I feel like I've done what I can. And I have enjoyed being a voice for an alternative point of view in the state and trying to represent what is oftentimes a minority point of view. But as just mentioned, a couple of cases, it's not necessarily a minority point of view. And I'm also a very strong believer in leaving while you're on top. I mean, leaving when you feel like you've accomplished something and when while your constituents feel that you've done a good job for them. And I also want to give a chance for emerging leaders to have an opportunity to represent this district. You and I had talked about this a little mm-hmm. earlier uh, mm-hmm. last year when you first announced you weren't running again about that you had been referred to as the patron saint of lost, lost causes, causes yes. and <laughs> and that uh, that being in the minority party had represented sort of this own its, its own sort of I don't know, identity crisis mm-hmm. sometimes of like what am I doing here when. There are so few Democrats in the legislature to usher through. Um, But you have had at least a success in getting those conversations started. Definitely. You know, I always I mean, I don't want to be a total Debbie Downer about this because I feel that I have represented my constituency well and they deserve a voice. They deserve a voice on the, the hill that is very clear and articulating their point of view on policy issues. And I think I've done a good job with that. But I also feel that what I want to do is go back to doing advocacy on one or two or three issues and feel like I'm really making a difference instead of feeling like I'm spread so thin, which is often a challenge also when you're in the minority party, especially for our senators, is you your bandwidth is really stretched. So I'm looking forward to focusing on issues like that end of life policy on on you know um, end of life issues in general. Is that your top priority? Yeah, I would say that is probably going to be my advocacy top priority going forward. But also good governance. Um, you know, you know that I've been working on a variety of voter engagement and access issues for a number of years. And in that arena, I have been fairly successful. There's a number of bills that I've tried to move forward to open the doors to allow voters complete access, free access to the ballot box. And I want to move into 
having a broader dialogue at a national level on issues such as ranked choice voting, what could happen both in our state and nationally if people really felt that their vote counted? Aligned with that is issues related to redistricting reform. I have been. Are you a, supporting the ballot I, oh, yes, measure? Yes, I am. Yeah. I've been actively involved. I'm one of the main signatories on the initiative that was presented to the lieutenant governor when it was filed. I feel strongly that there, we need we need redistricting reform, and I think the initiative hopefully will move us in that direction. But I am frustrated that we have five initiatives on the ballot. The legislature should be much more res- responsive, excuse me, to the majority of the will of Utahns. And what I'm seeing when you have five different ballot initiatives on such very broad-based uh, public policy is that we are not, I'm not seeing us being in tune with the majority of Utahns on a variety of issues. So that tells me that we need redistricting reform. We need a broader voter engagement. We need voters to feel that their vote counts when they cast their ballot, which is, again, why I'm I'm a supporter of ranked choice voting, uh, redistricting reform, and, um, you know, looking at things like multi-member congressional districts, which is something that Fair Vote and the Fair Representation Act proposes. So just rethinking how we're represented, rethinking how the voters are engaged with their their process. Uh, and I, I want to do that on a, on a regional or a national level. I think that that needs to change at that big level um, before we see it impacting us on a, at a state level. Thank you, Representative, for joining me today. My pleasure. Good luck with the rest of the session. Thank you. That's it for this week's 45 Days. Be sure to tune in next week for our penultimate show. Woo! Also, we'll be doing a button giveaway next Wednesday if there's no snow. So if you want a cool button that says 45 Days or with our little Bill mascot on it, come by the food trucks outside the Capitol steps on Wednesday to pick one up and say hey. 45 Days is a production of KUER News. This episode was produced by Tim Slover with original music by David Whited. For more local news and legislative coverage, visit our website at KUER.org and follow KUER on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also tweet me at underscore Nixo and tell me your thoughts on fry sauce. I got kind of a cyber beating this week when I made it public that I'm not a fry sauce fan. And it was well-deserved because I love fry sauce. I even have an Instagram account called at fry sauce critic where I review different local restaurants fancy sauce recipes. There is nothing fancy about fry sauce. Point of order. Okay, well, we won't settle this in a day, but be sure to tune in next week for more Legislature Madness. Bye.